Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start a brand new series today, a two-part series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, with 21 days of prayer and fasting coming up here in a couple of weeks, what I wanted to do is just kind of take a step back and go to this important topic of prayer. I really want to really just focus on, on prayer and what better passage to pick than the Lord's Prayer. Again, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 5 through 10. I'm sorry, we'll focus on 5 through 10, but we'll be reading 5 through 13. Uh, this, this passage that we're going to be looking at today is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's, um, uh, he's speaking to many people. Primarily, he's speaking to his disciples and to his followers. However, there's cr- the crowds are around there as well. The religious leaders are around there as well. I just want to give you some context so you can kind of um, you know, understand what's going on here. But Jesus is preaching to a lot of people, primarily to his disciples and followers, with the crowds and the religious leaders of the day, hearing in, kind of eavesdropping in the conversation here. But let's go ahead and read our text for the day. It says this, Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through, uh, we'll do 13. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the amazing privilege it is to just be here and gather as a church body, to sit back and learn what it is to communicate with you how to pray. God, teach us how to pray in your way, God. We're receptive today. Speak to us through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Illuminate illuminate our hearts and our minds that we may be able to clearly and uh, communicate with you, God. We love you. We thank you. Bless our time together. In your name we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. It was a Thursday night in Vistancia, community up north. I was with my high school students. We were at a Bible study, and we were focusing on the topic of the Trinity. We were focusing on the topic of the Trinity. So we were just kind of going through some verses with these high school students about what the Trinity was. Well, the Trinity is there's one God, 
there's three persons, but they're all the same essence. And so we were just trying to wrestle through all of that, you know, the, the mystery of the Trinity. And so uh, we just had some amazing conversations around that, that very, very tough subject. And, uh, and I remember at the end of the Bible study, I look over to one of my students, who was a student leader. Uh, I like to put them on the spot, you know. And, and I said, hey, um, uh, will, you, will, you, will you pray for us? Go before the Lord uh, go before God and just close us out in prayer. And so uh, he does. He, he started his prayer this way. He said, um, dear Trinity. He didn't know at that point whether to pray to the Father, to the Son, or to the Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? When I pray, do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son? Or do I pray to the Spirit? Like, who do I pray for? And so he was just having this weird, like, oh my gosh, now that I know about the tree, who do, who do I really pray to? You know, I, has anyone ever asked that question or was it just him? Okay, it was just him. It was just him. All right. <laughs> and me. Uh, but so, so we pray by the Spirit through the Son to the Father. Normally, that's really a good pattern. We pray by the Spirit through the Son, Jesus, who's our intercessor, to the Father. Now, there, I think it's okay to pray to the Spirit and to Jesus, but there's a pattern throughout the Bible where it's mainly in, uh, in or by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. That's how we normally pray, if you're wondering. But I'm sure you already knew that. You already knew that. You already knew that. Uh, but, you know, prayer is one of those topics that believers of Jesus have had a lot of questions on, you know, for all of time. Who, who do I pray to? Who uh, uh, do I pray sitting down? How long do I have to pray? Uh, you know, th- just very, very, just a lot of questions on prayer. And while I'm not going to tackle all of those questions today, I do want to tackle the passage where Jesus tells his disciples after they actually ask him. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus teaches them how to pray. And so that's what we're going to be really looking at, although there's a lot of stuff we can cover uh, when it comes to prayer. And so I just hope this passage and this message is a blessing to your prayer life. Um, But before Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray in our passage, he actually teaches them how not to pray. That's what he does. Here's how not to pray. And then he says, here's how to pray. And so before we get into the how to pray part, we're going we're gonna to lay the foundation for our message today with a couple of things, okay? The first thing is this, you know, how not to pray. This is what, this is what Jesus does first. How do you not pray? Verse 5 says this. I'm going to read it over again to kind of refresh your memory. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so the first thing that Jesus says about how not to pray, he says, do not pray. We must not pray full of hypocrisy. That's what he says. 
Do not pray like the hypocrites do. You see, this is what happened during those days in that culture. Let's say there was a religious festival going on during that time and in that town. Uh, what they would do is they would, they would blow the trumpet at a certain time so people can pray. Now, a lot of people, and especially the religious leaders of that day, very conveniently decided to take a stroll through the, the neighborhood. And at the right time, conveniently, they would sound the trumpet. And it's such a coincidence that they would, end, they would actually uh, stand, they would stand in the busiest corner of the town where there was a lot of people. Why? So that people can see them and hear them pray. So it was just a big old, old show that they wanted to put on. Hey, come and see me pray. Now, Jesus doesn't condemn public prayer. He doesn't say, you know, it's, it's wrong to pray in, in public, but what he does condemn is this hypocritical prayer of, hey, come and see me. Come see how awesome I pray. Come see how good I am at praying. So that's the first thing that Jesus says, don't pray like that. The second thing he says is we must not pray empty and mindless prayers. That's what he says. Don't pray empty and mindless prayers where you're, you're speaking, but your heart's in another place. Don't do that. You see, in that culture, especially the Greek culture, many people would pray to deity, to deities, and they would try to use as many names and titles for those deities, hoping that the deities would, 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 would do something for them. So they were really just kind of manipulating these deities. They would say a lot of phrases to try to get the deity to do whatever they wanted. So it was a form of uh, manipulation. Their words were empty. They just wanted to get something from that deity. Also, in some pagan cultures of that time, they would actually tell these deities, hey, remember what I did for you. Remember all these sacrifices that I've done for you. Remember what I, how good I treated people so that that God could then bless them. And again, it was just mindless and empty prayers trying to manipulate their God so that they could, that God could do whatever they wanted for them. You see, church, let me just remind you today that we pray with our hearts, not with our lips. We pray with our hearts, not with our lips. And so when we pray to God, we gotta make sure that our hearts are active in our, in, in our prayer time with God. We can't just be speaking empty phrases and things that we pray every single time. We gotta be active, we gotta be intentional, intentional about how we pray. When I was in high school, I was on the football team, and uh, before every single uh, game, our team would gather together and we would recite the Lord's Prayer, which I thought was very interesting. I thought was very weird. We would recite the Lord's Prayer every single game. And I thought to myself this week, I'm like, well, one, I don't think anybody really understood what the Lord's Prayer meant. Like, especially my friends, we definitely had no idea what we meant. We were just reciting it because people were reciting it. Like, that's what the coach told us to do. Secondly, there is no way we knew what it meant because if we knew what it meant, our lives would have matched the Lord's prayer and our lives didn't back up the Lord's prayer. So we just were just reciting things mindlessly and mindlessly there. So that's how Jesus says not to pray. Again, we're just setting the foundation for when he teaches how to pray. The second thing that is super foundational for us is this, is this. Jesus, notice what he says. He says, when you pray, 
Jesus assumes that we pray. Jesus assumes that believers pray. It's not even a command. It's just an assumption. It's implied that if you're a believer, you pray. Verse 5, and when you pray. Verse 6, but when you pray. Verse 7, and when you pray. So there's an assumption there that believers pray. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, says this. He says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian is to pray, and to pray is to be Christian. Jesus says, when you pray. He doesn't say, if you pray, if you feel like you have the strength, if you feel like you have the desire, because honestly, there are so many times where I don't feel like praying. But Jesus implies when you pray. Now, again, we're laying the foundation. We're laying the foundation. He also says, in verse 9, he says, when you go to pray to God, you have to understand who you're praying to. You have to really think about who you're trying to communicate to. Verse 9 says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. That's what he says. You have to understand, we have to understand who we're praying to. Now, quick side note here, Jesus says, pray then like this. So what Jesus is saying here is, hey, here, let me give you a pattern or a model of prayer. He's not saying, here's the prescription on how you have to pray exactly every single time. The Lord's prayer is not a prescription, but a pattern or a model. He's saying, hey, pray something like this. Let me give you this, this model. But again, he says, Pray like this, our Father in heaven. So we need to understand who we're praying to. Jesus says that we have to pray to the Father. Now, for us, it's like, okay, I've heard that. I've got to pray to the Father. I get it. It's, it's not a big deal for us, right? It's nothing new. But church, what Jesus is doing here in the Lord's Prayer is revolutionary for his time. It's totally new. It's something so radical that Jesus is doing here. Here is why. Because in the Old Testament... God, as Father, was only referred 14 times in the Old Testament. And every single time that God, as Father, was referred to in the Old Testament, he wasn't referred to or connected to individual people. He was connected to the nation of Israel every single time. So the people of Israel didn't see God as Father as something intimate, as something close. But as the sovereign creator father that's out there and that governs the people of Israel, not people individually. So then Jesus shows up and he's talking to his disciples and he tells them, hey, pray this, pray our father. Now he's telling individual disciples to pray individually to the father. This was something new. Could you imagine that? Being, an old, being, being a Jewish person being raised up that you could never call out to Father individually and see him in that way. But Jesus says, no, pray our Father. You see, in the Gospels, Jesus referred to God as Father 60 times. 60 times Jesus calls God his Father. Now, this is so significant for us believers. Here's why. Here's why. 
Because those who are in Christ, those who are in Jesus, can have the Father as well. We share in the sonship of Christ. Jesus has transferred all of those benefits of son to us. And so because Jesus calls God his father and those who are in Christ, we can call him father as well. What a beautiful blessing and privilege for all of us who are in Christ. Now, the word father here, this is so important. Again, we have to understand who we're praying to. We can't just come nonchalantly to, you know, the throne of grace and just Say, hey, my you know, big guy upstairs or whatever, right? Like, we have to understand who we're praying to. The Father, the Father, that word Father indicates Jesus' um, imminence. It describes Jesus' imminence. Now, what is this word imminence? This word imminence is this idea that, that God is present in, close to, and involved in his creation. That's what that word Father displays or signifies. That, that, that the, the Father is present with his creation. He's not a God who created all things and said, all right, you're on your own, see you later. But he's actually imminent. He's involved. He's present in his creation. He's present in your life as well. He's a personal father. That's what imminence means. He's a personal father. He's an intimate father. He's an involved father. He's a loving father. He's a caring father. He's a faithful father. And he's a forgiving father. Question is this. Is he your father? Can you call him father? And the only way we can call him father is if we are in Christ Jesus. We can't have God as our father without having the son as our personal Lord and Savior. Is he your father? If he isn't, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one, no one gets to the Father but through me. Have you repented of your sin, placed your faith in Christ, acknowledged that you've blown it, you've messed up, you can't save yourself, but there's someone who can, and his name is Jesus, and he died on the cross for you, and if you place your faith in him, you can call him your father. Is he your father? And I know for some of us, that term father is really a trigger word. Maybe when we look at this idea of father, especially a heavenly father, we have our earthly father in mind. Can I tell you today that your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father, even the best of earthly fathers. Your earthly father might have abused you but your heavenly father heals you. Your earthly father might have been harsh to you, but your heavenly father is gentle. Your earthly father might have abandoned you, but your heavenly father, he never abandons you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And I pray that you would just find so much comfort that your heavenly father is perfect and he loves with the perfect love. So again, we, under, we have to understand who we pray to. We pray to the Father who's imminent, who's close. But also, 
Notice what he says. Notice what Jesus says. Our Father who is in where? In heaven. Now, the idea of heaven speaks of God's transcendence. Not his imminence, but his transcendence. What, is, what does transcendence mean? It essentially means this, that, that God's transcendence refers to God being wholly distinct and separate from his creation. It means that God is above his creation, that God is other than his creation. It means this. It means that he is the almighty one, the omnipotent one, who dwells in heavenly power and splendor. That's who we are praying to. We are praying to an imminent father who's present and involved in our lives, but we're also praying to our father who's in heaven, who's transcendent above his creation. He's other than his creation. I mean, he literally spoke the universe into existence. That's the person, that's our father who we are praying to. That's who we're praying to. And I think a lot of the times in the modern church, we have doubted God's imminence and trivialized his transcendence. We've doubted the fact that God is really present in our lives. Like, you know, I believe that God's present in my life, but, you know, do you, do, but do you really? Because I really think we'd, we'd live differently. So I feel like we've doubted his closeness and his involvement in our life, but we've also trivialized his transcendence and his glory and his majesty and his splendor and how big he is. You see, we call him the big man upstairs. We, we call him my teddy bear in heaven. I saw a shirt that said, God is my homie. We've trivialized his transcendence. He is not our homie. He is not our teddy bear upstairs. He's not the big man upstairs. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign creator of the entire universe, and he is our present and loving father. That's who we pray to. I'm laying the foundation. This is, a, this is a big foundation, all right? Okay. We also have to understand who we're praying with. When Jesus says, pray like this, what is the first word that he says? He says, our our Father. That's what he says. Notice what he doesn't say. He says, hey, pray my Father. He says, our Father. That's huge. Because believer, we pray in private, but we never pray alone. We pray in private, but we never pray alone. I think what Jesus is trying to do here is intentional. He's trying to remind us that every time we approach God in prayer, we are praying as a member of his family. We are praying alongside and with other believers. And I think Jesus did this intentionally to remind us of the unity that we have in him, that we are one. We are one in Christ and we must always fight for unity in the body of Christ. So every time from here on out, when you go to God and pray, remember that you're praying with other believers. Remember that unity is important. Remember that the very first word in the Lord's prayer is our, our Father. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, some type of conflict, leave your gift therefore before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says, hey, hey, you come to the altar to worship and to pray and to praise God, but you realize that you have some reconciliation and some conflict, go take care of that first. Go be reconciled first. The act of prayer is not as important as the spirit in which we pray. We pray in a spirit of unity. We pray in a spirit of reconciliation and care and love for one another. Last thing on the foundation, all right? Last thing. These are important. These are important. So, I want you to see something. If you grab your Bibles, I want you to see something. Jesus gives us six petitions or requests after this first line, our Father in heaven. Then he gives us six petitions. I want you to notice, and they're all broken down this way. The first three are all about God. How do we know that? He says, your kingdom come. The word is your. Your will be done, right? Uh, Hallowed be your name. So your. The three petitions are correlated with the word your. After the first three petitions that first include God, then we can begin to pray for our needs and our wants. What's the key word there? Us. Give us this daily bread. Forgive us, verse 12, and lead us, verse 13. We have to have that picture in mind that we have to understand that prayer is first about God and second about us. Now, that doesn't mean that if you get caught in a serious situation and it's traumatic, that you have to go through all those steps in order to ask a petition. No, no, no. You call out to God right then and there. But as a standard practice, when we come to the throne before the Almighty, we pray about what he puts up first, his priority. Then we ask our request. The Ten Commandments are also structured that way. The first four deal with God and the next six deal with man. That's how they're structured as well. So that's the foundation for how not to pray and just the foundation to understand um, uh, how to approach God in prayer. So what's the first petition that Jesus says to pray? What's that first thing he says to pray for? And that's his holiness. So when we go before God, the first thing that we have to keep in mind and the first thing we pray for is his holiness. Verse nine says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to be set apart, to be set apart as holy, to treat as holy, or to consider him as holy. In the ancient times, biblical times, a person's name signified the very essence of that person, the very character of that person. And so to treat God's name as holy is to treat God himself as holy. And I often wonder, why did Jesus put this first? He could have put a lot of other things, right? But why did Jesus say that the first petition, the first request, the first prayer is about God's holiness. And I think, and this is not scripture, but this is what I think. I think 
that the reason why is this, that because if we don't see God's holiness first and understand his holiness, and we don't have that respect and reverence for God's holiness, his kingdom, second prayer, and his will cannot be done in our lives. God's will and God's kingdom cannot be done in our lives and in our situation when we don't see God as holy. That's what I think. So it starts with the holiness of God. So how do we treat God's name as holy if we're supposed to do that? Prayer, of course. God, holy is your name. God, I pray that this nation, I pray that this people, this world will understand your holiness, absolutely. But more than that, the way that we treat God's name as holy is by living holy lives. We can't pray, hallowed, holy be your name, and live in the flesh. We can't pray, God, you're so holy and perfect and pure, but yet my life, is so unholy, giving into sin, being dominated by sin. And you're going to notice that the Lord's prayer are things to be prayed for, but more than that, they're things to be lived out. We live out holiness. We live out purity. We live out righteousness, not in our own power, but the power of the Spirit in our lives. Christ has washed us with his blood, May we not let the ways of this world stain our lives. One of the things that's, very, that's been very helpful to me is this graph. I hope you can see it a little bit. In three, two, one. We have the graph? Oh, we don't have the graph. All right, I'm sorry. Here we go. All right, we'll just, just pretend, pretend. One of the things... Um, that, I, that I've seen or that I've experienced is this. It's like a chart. I'll, how about I just use my hands, <laughs> right? It's a chart like this, okay? And the point, the middle point of a triangle this way, a sideways triangle, a less than side, that point is the point of conversion, okay? This, this angle here, this, I've been working out. God, this is going downhill really fast. Um, this point here, this angle here, is understanding God's holiness. It's really understanding how holy and perfect he is. And what I've realized is this, that the more we understand God's holiness, the more we understand our sinfulness. How sinful we are. The more we understand how holy he is, the more we understand how sinful we are. But here's the cool thing, right? <laughs> Let me go back to this. I feel like Spider-Man or like, I don't know. God's holiness, our sinfulness. There were supposed to be crosses along the way that got bigger and bigger. The more we see and understand God's holiness, the more we understand our sinfulness, the bigger the cross gets. The more beautiful the gospel Yet, the more amazing is the saving grace of Jesus. 
pray God's holiness. The second thing we pray for that Jesus says is God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come. Now, what does the kingdom mean, right? Because actually the kingdom is really complicated, but I really want to summarize it and just simplify the kingdom of God. Here's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. The kingdom of God is God's reign. God is the king. He's in charge. He reigns past, present, and future into eternity. God's reign. He is king through God's people, through us. He reigns through us as we go out and proclaim the good news of the gospel, proclaim forgiveness in Christ Jesus, proclaim repentance and faith to the world through us, right, over God's place. What's the place? One, it's all of heaven and earth, and one day in the future, it's going to be in a future new heaven and new earth. Well, God will reign forever, but primarily and especially in this passage, God's place is the heart of the believer. He reigns in the heart of the believer. The kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is God ruling and working and reigning in your heart. This idea of the kingdom of God is so evangelistic. It is praying that the kingdom comes upon unbelievers. Conversion, new life, forgiveness of sin. That we go out and be part of the kingdom of God and pray that he would reign in the lives of unbelievers. It is a prayer of believers as well that We're being sanctified. As God reigns in our heart, we're being sanctified, meaning we're growing slowly and progressively in Christ's likeness. It's a prayer that one day we'll be fully perfect, that God's kingdom will be perfect in our hearts. It's a prayer that God will one day come back. As John in the book of Revelation says, come Lord Jesus. That's what he's praying. May your kingdom come. May your second coming come. Come, Lord Jesus. Can you pray that? That God would come soon? That God's kingdom would be established here? Can you pray that? I hope we can. So what's our response, church, to God's kingdom? Yes, we pray to the pray that the kingdom of God um, you know, reigns on people and, and on heaven and on earth. But what's our response? First, repentance and faith. Mark chapter 1, 14 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. That's our response to the kingdom. If you don't know Jesus, he's given you an opportunity to respond with repentance and faith, to enter into his kingdom, to enter into his family so that you can become a child of God. The second response to the kingdom is commitment. We're committed to the kingdom. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. That's what he says. In other words, the kingdom is work. The kingdom is sacrifice. The kingdom is about God. The kingdom is about stepping outside of our comfort zone. 
It's about staying the course. It's about staying focused. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, he says, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Where are the workers? And some of us have to work extra, extra, extra hard to pick up some of the slack. But if you're a believer, your response to the kingdom is commitment to the kingdom. Commitment to serving Christ, his bride. Commitment to advancing the kingdom. You see, here's the thing. Again, it's not something we, we just pray. It's something we do. If we, if we pray this prayer and if we say, God, your kingdom come, we have to be willing to go. If we pray, thy kingdom come, we have to be willing to go and make disciples of all nations, and that takes a lot of work. Third response to the kingdom is we got to pursue the kingdom and make it a priority in our life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, but seek first your comfort. But seek first your needs and then worry about the kingdom. But seek first your care and then worry about God's stuff. It doesn't say that. What does Jesus say? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? All of those things will be added to you. His kingdom first, our cares second. His mission first, our needs second. Fourth, dependence on God. Matthew 5.33, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God and it requires dependence. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is for those who are poor in spirit, those who are spiritually broke, those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who cannot save themselves. And the kingdom of God takes 100% dependence and faith in Jesus. And when we pray, we pray with dependence and we pray with faith because of who we're praying Two, a father who's imminent and transcendent above all. I heard this quote by a Puritan named Thomas Watson. He says, praying without faith is like shooting without bullets. It's useless to pray without faith. But when we pray, we pray with dependence because of who God is. So pray God's kingdom in your life. Three, last one. What does God say? God say, God says, I'm sorry, Jesus says, God's will, pray God's will, verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. That's the third prayer request. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, God has one will, but he has two aspects in his one will. Theologians call this the first will, God's sovereign will or secret will. There's a lot of things that God does that we just don't know, right? And we'll never know why he does certain things. So there's one will in God, two aspects. His sovereign or secret will, which we just 
don't know why things happen the way they do and God does things a certain way. And then there's God's revealed will where he wants to reveal his will to us. And that's what's being talked about here. And how does God reveal his will to us? Through the scriptures. That's how God reveals to us what he wants us to do, what he asks for us, what he wants for us is through his revealed will, through the word of God. And so Jesus says, pray God's will, his revealed will, whatever he desires to be done on earth is found in the scripture. Whatever he desires to be done in and through your life and for your life is found in this scripture, in the word. And so we must pray, church, that God's will be done on earth through us, and we must pray that God's will be done in us through him. Jesus was all about the Father's will. John chapter 434, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. John 6:38, he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Remember what happened in, in Mark chapter 14 and Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating blood. He doesn't want to go to the cross. What does he do? He says, Abba, Father, Father, again, all things are possible for you. He says, remove this, this cup of wrath, yet not what I will, but what you will. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he says, not about my will, God. It's about your will. And that's the same thing in our lives. We have to pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in my heart and in my life. You got to like rip out those things that don't please you. You got to mold me and shape me into the will, into your will, into what you're asking for me. You see, Thomas Watson, again, the Puritan, he says, many pray, let this cup pass, but few pray, thy will be done. Many pray, God, please save me from this. But very few believers say, God, your will be done in my life no matter what. Because I know who I'm praying to. I'm praying to a father who's present, who's caring, who's loving, and who's transcendent, who's the king and creator of the universe. Are you bold enough today to pray that prayer? Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, calls it fearful or scary prayer because it is. But can you pray, God, do your will in my life. Have your way in my heart. Transform me. Remove all of those things in my life that don't please you and honor you. Your will be done. And if your will and your way is painful, then so be it. Here's why. Because he's our father, and the scripture says that he causes everything for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So to not, think about it, to not do the will of the father, even though it's hard, is actually a little foolish. 
because he actually loves us and wants the best. So why wouldn't we do the will of the Father? Lastly here, notice what he says. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth, in this place, in this country, in this city, in Peoria, in my house, in my neighborhood, in my heart, as it is in heaven. How is it done in heaven? How's God's will done in heaven? It's done without reservations. It's done without hesitation. It's done without rebellion. It's done without complaining. And it's done with great joy in heaven. His will is done with great joy. His will is done with great willingness, with great gratitude, and with great passion. And the same way that his will right now is being done perfectly, joyfully, willingly in heaven, that same way may it be done in our hearts in our lives. So, if I could just wrap this part up of the sermon, it's just an easy statement, here it is. Pray with God's priorities in mind, God's holiness, God's kingdom, and God's will. That's the first part, part one. When you go to pray, remember, the very first things Jesus wants us to pray for is his holiness, his kingdom, and his will. Two very practical next steps I want to give you. I want to maybe encourage you and even challenge you a bit this week. That when you go before God this week, focus on him alone. Don't ask for anything. That's part two that's coming next Sunday. Don't miss it but just focus on God alone. Don't ask for anything. Say, God, I worship you. You're holy. I'm not asking anything from you. I just want to sit in your presence, praising how holy and perfect and righteous you are. Pray his kingdom. May your kingdom come in my heart, in my life, in my marriage, with my friends, at my work, in this state, in this country. And God, I want to do your will. Don't ask for anything. I encourage you to do that. The second thing is this. I encourage you to participate in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. There's a little guide of how to pray, what to pray, how to fast on our website under Get Connected. Join us. When the church prays, there's power. And we have to move forward, not dependent on our own. But we, we as a church move forward on our knees, praying and calling out to God. I want to leave you with this last quote from my favorite, one of my favorite preachers, 19th century preacher. He says, our God not only hears prayer, but also loves to hear it, Charles Spurgeon. Our God not only hears prayer, but he loves to hear it. God loves to hear the sound of your voice worshiping him 
praising him for who he is. May he hear your voice today and this week. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for who you are. You are our Father in heaven. We have the privilege, God, to pray amongst believers, to pray with other fellow sisters and brothers in Christ. You're our Father, a family a united family, a loving family, a caring family, a supportive family. And we pray to you, Father, who is caring and present in our life. We believe and we live that belief that you truly are involved in our life, that you're a good father and a caring one. But you're also transcendent, you're in heaven You're not like us. You're not like your creation. You're something different. You're set apart. You're other than. You're above. You're perfect and we're not. You're all powerful and we're not. We're dependent upon you, transcending God. We pray your kingdom come through the people of restoration. There would be people who advance your kingdom with great commitment, zeal, passion, power, and joy. What a privilege it is to be a part of your kingdom and advance your kingdom in our home, in our workplaces, in our community, in Peoria and for Peoria. And oh, Father, may your will be done in our life on this earth, it's your agenda, it's your mission, it's your purpose, and we seek after it first. We honor you, we love you, we thank you. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.